Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This morning, we're going to be talking about a passage in Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through 41, and I would ask you if you would open your Bibles and read it. It's a short passage, but it it actually uh, has a encapsulation of a theme that runs throughout the New Testament. And that theme basically is, as we read the New Testament, when, when we're reading texts, the theme is, who is this talking to? Is it talking about them or about us? You, we read the scriptures. And basically, the last passage that, that we noted was, was in verse 41. And that, that verse says, Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even unto all? And so I have the, the, uh, the picture selected of Chevy Chase. And he's asking the question, He's probably asking the question, who, me? And so that's, that's the question we ask. As we read the New Testament, the question in our mind is, is he talking to me or to someone else? That's what, that's what we're asking. And that's, that's part of the romance of the Scriptures. It's part of the excitement of the Scriptures. It's part of the intrigue and the heightened interest that is generated by the Holy Spirit when we read the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Is he talking about me? Is he talking to me? Or is he talking to someone else? And it wasn't just a question of what he was saying. It's more importantly, to whom was he saying it? And it brings up the old Pharisee and publican syndrome. Now, I know a lot of us have over the years thought that the Pharisees were rigid law keepers. And that if you were called a Pharisee, it was because... You felt like the scriptures applied specifically and, and, and to, to the point, and there was no movement in them. Now, that's not what the Pharisee did, basically. What the Pharisee was doing, and what the attitude of the Pharisee was, he always felt like the rules and regulations applied to you and not to him. Now, that's the Pharisaical attitude. It's not the attitude of, I want to get it right and I want to be right. It's the attitude of, you're wrong, I'm right. And the passage applies to you. Now, in Luke chapter 18, verse 10 through 13, we we look at that text and, and we can see it. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. 
And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. So the Pharisee looks upon the teachings of Jesus and swells up with pride within himself at his own goodness. Like the rich young ruler, you remember, in um, Matthew chapter 19, when he asked Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, which ones? And Jesus enumerated the six that applied to his neighbor. And he said, I've kept these from my youth up. He said, I've done all of this. So don't, this doesn't apply to me anymore. It applies to someone else. And then the Pharisee will apply the negative lessons to you. So as you're reading the New Testament, if you have the attitude of the Pharisee, you're thinking, he's not talking to me. He's talking to you. Sometimes I've heard, as I've been preaching in my younger years, fellows would jokingly come up and say, well, he really got to you, didn't he, today, talking to their neighbor. Well, that, that's the point of the, of the Pharisee. The publican looks at the same text and doesn't even think about you, but makes the negative application to himself. The problem of who is Jesus talking about has always been there. Jesus made an application of the Old Testament Scriptures to a group of Pharisees, and it caused some discomfort among his disciples. So let's look at some texts where this actually took place in, in the time of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 15 at verse 10, after Jesus had set forth the fact that the, that the publicans had misapplied the Scriptures, applying the negative aspect to someone else and the positive aspect to themselves, Jesus had rebuked them. And when he rebuked them, it says, He called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Don't you know that the Pharisees were offended after they heard these things? What happened? Well, they applied the passages to themselves, and it offended them. So there was no question about who he was talking to then. In John chapter 13 at verse 21, Jesus was having a last supper with his disciples. And during that supper, he said that someone among them was going to betray him. You know what that caused them to say? Who? Who is it? Me or you? And so at verse 21 in John 13, it says, When he had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. So there was one of the disciples that was leaning over on Jesus' bosom, and Peter reached over and said, Hey, ask him. Who he's talking about? Ask him. And it says, Then he lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? Who is it? That's, this is one of those texts in John chapter 12 where the text des describes a situation and then the disciples are saying, I wonder who he was talking about. So we read the parables and we say, I know someone that looks like that. Instead of asking the question, is he talking about me? Well, you see, that's the point. Yes, he's talking about me. 
That's the point when we read it. Who's he talking about? Let's examine in Luke chapter 12 who he was talking about in this text. It's kind of a distorted text, really. So in Luke chapter 12, it's, it says that uh, a man was going to a wedding feast. Now, we, we don't think that this man was the bridegroom or the groom, but he was going to a wedding, and he, he gave instructions to his servants in his house. He owned the house, and he had servants that were there. And so he said, he told these servants, the very first thing he told them was, he said, don't put on your pajamas. Stay up, wait up for me. That's what he said. He said, wait. He, it, it says, let your lawns be girded about. That means don't take your clothes off and put your jammies on. He said, wait up. And he said, and keep the lights burning. He, what he was telling them was, I'm going to be late coming home. It was his house, his servants. He said, don't put your pajamas on. Let your lawns be girded. Be like men that are waiting for something. Be expectant. This is a general requirement for those who want to be serving God. That's a general requirement. We have to be expectant. So when we see what he's saying, we say, well, is he telling me that I need to be expectant? Well, yes, I think he is. But that, that was the question. That's the question we have in this context. And that's the question Peter said. Who's he talking about? Well, he says, wait. In Psalms chapter 25, verse 3, it says, Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let me get our picture up here. He's talking to waiters. These are servants. They were servants of the, of the master of the house, of the lord of the house. He said, now you wait for me. Don't get undressed. Keep your duds on. And it says in Psalm 25, verse 3, Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed that transgress without a cause. Psalms 37, verse 9 says, Evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So we begin to start to make some applications. What was Jesus saying? He was saying to his servants, Wait. Be prepared. Be expectant. He said, They that wait on the Lord will inherit the earth. In Psalms 40, verse 31, it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. Well, obviously, if they're going to wait up late, they're going to, they're going to be tired. He said, you'll renew your strength. You'll get it back. The way, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Even if they had to wait up late. He said... Uh, that they could make it. They would be okay. Live in expectation of good things from the Lord. I think that's the, I think that's the lesson he's, he's giving here. It should never be a surprise that good things are going to come to you from the Lord. Wait. And be prepared for them. Be ready to receive His blessings. Although these servants had no reason to expect anything good coming from their Lord, he said, wait. Don't take your, take your clothes off. Be ready. And he said, because... And he said, keep the lights on. Because I'm going to come back. Now when he said, keep the lights on, he's saying something that, that to me, as I look at this, and I think, well, you know... 
it wasn't as easy for them to keep the lights on then as it is for us to keep the lights on today. Uh, if you're like me, you men, when I go from room to room, when it's dark, I turn the lights on as I pass. And I, I've tried to tell my wife to do the same thing and try to get her to do the same thing. Sometimes I'll have to go back and turn them off for her. And I'm sure you do too. But with the kids, it was always true. Turn the, why? Why do we turn the lights off? Because it's expensive to leave the electricity running. The meter keeps going when the lights are on. Now, the Lord said, wait, and when you wait, keep the lights on. You remember old Tom Bourdais? He, he was the spokesman from 1986 on with the Motel 6 uh, business. And on TV, he would come on and say, say uh, we, he would invite us to, to stay at the Motel 6, and he'd say, we'll keep the lights on for you. We'll keep the lights on for you. Now that's what the Lord here was saying to his servants. He was saying, don't change your clothes and keep the light burning. Keeping a light burning then was a little tougher than it is now, obviously. And the illustration is of a, of a clay pot. And that clay pot had a big hole in the middle and then it had a little spout. And the wick, which is made of cotton and woven was strung between the end of the spout and dipped down into the oil. And the oil was olive oil, and it was expensive. And yet the Lord said, keep the lights on. Their inclination was, my inclination would be, turn the lights out. When he gets back, we'll turn the lights back on. But he said, keep the lights burning. And, and uh, it's not like the uh, ten virgins of Matthew chapter 25. You remember in Matthew chapter 25, the ten virgins were supposed to be prepared for the celebration when the bride and the bridegroom came back. And, and uh, ten of them, the ten virgins were divided into two groups. Uh, five of them kept their lights burning and ran out of oil. And the others trimmed their lamps and, and kept a, a good stock of oil. Now that's not, that's not what was going on here. They were not waiting for a celebration. They were just waiting for the Lord to come home. And he said, keep the lights burning. Now the question is, who is he talking to? Well, I think he's talking to me. And what is he saying? He's saying, Bill, don't sit around in the darkness. You know where the darkness is? The whole world, we're told, in John chapter 3, dwells in the darkness. He said, don't sit around in the darkness. Be prepared. Be prepared for anything. And he said, the reason I want you to be prepared is because when I come back, I'm going to knock and I want you to open. And I want you to open immediately. Let's see if I can get my mind around this. I'm not a Christian. Let's, let's just assume that's happening. I'm not a Christian. And Jesus is not in my life. But... He, he can come into my life. He, he did create me. I am a part of His creation. And He did tell me that He was going to come back. He was in this world for a while. And then He returned at his, at, after His resurrection. But here I am. I'm sitting back in this time now. And I'm with them. And, and He's not around. Is He coming back? What should I do? Well, I'll just revert to my old habits. I'll go back to my old friends. 
I'll surround myself with things that I'm comfortable with. I won't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. I'll just enjoy myself today. And he's saying, no, do not sit around in the darkness and don't take your clothes off. Stay ready because I'm coming. And when I come, I'm going to knock. And when I knock, I want you to open the door. Now, that's what he's saying in this text. Am I right? I think I'm right. I'm going to knock. Now, in Revelation chapter 3 at verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now he's saying in this text, in Luke chapter 12, he's saying, I'm going to knock and you open immediately. Now the question in my mind that popped into my mind was, why should I open it immediately? I can wait a while. Why, why should I open it immediately? Here, here it is. Listen, you're not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is going to knock on my door. I shouldn't be sitting around in the darkness. I, I shouldn't be thinking that everything's okay just because I'm not religious minded in some way. But the point is, He's going to knock on my door. And He says, open it immediately. And the question in my mind is, why? I'm going to, I'm going to move the blinds and look out and see who it is. Or I'm going to peek around the corner and see who it is. I'm going to look to the people and see who it is. No. He said, when I knock, you open immediately. Why? Because the heart is a deceptive thing. The heart is deceitfully evil. So if he knocks once and I don't open it, it may be that I'll never open it again. You realize that? that that's what happened to Felix. Paul was preaching to Felix. And as he was preaching to Felix, Felix was hearing what he had to say. And then after he got through, Felix said, he said, uh, go your way. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. And you know, Felix never called him back. Never heard from him again. The human heart is kind of like that flower, I think, that opens one time in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime, this flower opens. People wait for it. And then it opens. Your heart may open only one time. It may open only one time. But it should open. And when it does, when Jesus knocks and you open it, He'll come in. Now if you haven't opened your heart to, to Jesus, think about that. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 through 42. A lot of people take Matthew 24 and think that's talking about when Jesus returns in the day of judgment. I don't believe he's talking about that. He was, Jesus was, was giving this instruction just before he died on the cross and res resurrected. And he was telling people something, and the question is, who's he talking about? Is he talking about me or somebody else? Well, as I read this text, I have to think he's talking about me. Unless I'm a Pharisee and thinks everything in the Bible is about you instead of me. He says, of that day and hour knows no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered in the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. 
When Jesus Christ comes knocking on your door, you don't know when it's going to be. And that's what he told these fellows. He said, be ready. Keep the lights on. I'm going to knock on the door. Okay. Need to be ready. He's going to knock on the door. And it says here that, uh, that then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken, the other left. Now that can't be in the day of judgment. Because in the day of judgment, when Jesus comes again in the day of judgment, everybody will be gone. He'll get us all. But this text says two in the field, one taken, the other gone. Think about that. Two women in the field, they're working, and one of them stops and thinks, I heard something about the Lord. He wanted me to obey Him. He wanted me to come to Him. So she gets up and leaves. The other one stays at work. They didn't hear the knock. They didn't open the door. They've got plenty of time. They'll do it later. He said, he said uh, two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, the other left. Wow. How does that happen? Two people, maybe they're working in a cannery. One of them's working along and they've heard, they've heard something about the gospel. And during their break time, they were reading in the New Testament. And they said, you know, why don't I obey the Lord? Why don't I follow the Lord? And so they get up and leave and they, they want to go follow Jesus. They said, well, maybe it's time for me to be baptized. I'm going to go find someone who will baptize me into Jesus Christ. So one is taken and one is left. It says, watch therefore. That's what Jesus was saying here, wasn't he? Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. Don't know what hour is coming. That's interesting, isn't it? He told these fellows, he told these men, his servants in Luke chapter 12, going back to that text, that at verse 40 it says, Be ye therefore ready for... Uh, also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour that you think not. So, okay. You're saying to yourself, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do what He wants me to do. I want to be a disciple of His. I don't think I'll do it now. So I quit watching. I quit thinking. I go back and sit down in the dark. I turn the light off. And so I go about my business. But, this text says, watch. So who's he talking to? Them or me? Them or us? That's the question. Well, the examples in the New Testament of people opening the door to Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Peter got up and preached. And when he finished preaching, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter didn't say, well, wait until the Lord knocks again. Then you can be baptized. No, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises to you, to all that are far off. And immediately they were baptized. Same thing happened in other texts. The eunuch in Acts chapter 8 was riding along in a chariot. Philip came up to him, joined him in the chariot. And the eunuch was reading Isaiah 53, and he asked the question, he said, of whom does this man speak? Of himself or somebody else? He's asking that same old question. Who's he talking to? Who's he talking about? And Philip preached to him Jesus and the eunuch said, Hey, why can't I be baptized? They stopped the chariot, went down to the water and Philip baptized them. They went on their way rejoicing. The same is true in Acts chapter 9 of Saul. He was on his way to persecute Christians, going up north to Damascus, taking a long trip. 
the Lord appeared to him and struck him blind and Saul was led into the city, sat around blind for three days, didn't know what to do. And finally, a man named Ananias was sent to him and Ananias came to him and said, Why tarriest you, Paul? Ananias came knocking on the door for Jesus, knocking on Paul's heart. He said, Why tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts twenty two sixteen. What did Saul do? Well, he got up and did it. He got up and did it. When I have a convenient season, the convenient season is when the Lord knocks. Are you hearing Him knock? Well, anyway. How did they know what time it was? As I read this text, He said, you don't know whether I'm coming back in the second or the third watch. Do you know what a watch is? It's not this. A watch was a period of time. The, 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 the night was divided into four, four watches. From six to nine, from nine to twelve, from 12 to 3, 3 to 6. That's 12 hours. Each night was divided into 12 hours. Each day was divided into 12 hours. So the, the good man of the house says, the owner of the house, the Lord, he says, he said, I can come, and they want to know, when are you coming? That, that would be a question I'd have. He went to, he went to a, a wedding celebration. He says, don't. Don't take your clothes off. Keep the lights on. I'm coming back. I'm going to knock. I want you to open the door. And my question would be, what time? What time? How did they keep time at night back then? They kept time in the daytime with sundials. Isn't that correct? And some people could actually watch the sun and decide about what time it was. But at nighttime, they didn't have the sun. How could they keep time? They used what was, what was called a kleptohydra clock. Kleptohydra. That's a water thief. That's the word for water thief. So they took a big bowl. If you look at this illustration, the big bowl was full of water. The little bowl in the middle, the, the, uh, the sort of orange bowl in the middle, had a tiny hole in the bottom. So they would put the big, the, the big bowl full of water. Then they'd take the smaller bowl with the tiny hole in the bottom and set it in the water. And as the water seeped in, it took three hours for the bowl to sink to the bottom of the big bowl and the water level match. Ingenious, huh? They all had, hyd they all had kleptohydra clocks in their house. Our clocks, I can tell what time it is. I have a watch. I, I can see. I even get big enough numbers on it that I can see it. And sometimes I can get a watch that I can get it to light up during the nighttime. So I know what time it is. I can know what time it is. And, and my time is coordinated. And some of you have uh, telephones that will tell you what time it is too. All of these are coordinated from a place up in Colorado. And that's synchronized with an atomic clock. And that atomic clock speaks to a satellite, and the satellite speaks to our telephones and our car phones and so forth. But they didn't have that. They had, they had this. I, I often wondered about that kleptohydra, water thief. Sometimes they had little jugs that bled into big jugs, and they would fill the little jugs, and it would take three hours for that water to drip into the big jug. Same thing. So why'd they call it a kleptohydra? A time thief, I think. 
the thief of time. Well, anyway, that's how they knew. So he said, I can, I'm coming back, and it could be in the, in the second or third watch. So it was, it was between the hour of 9 o'clock at night until 3 in the morning. Now that's a six-hour window that he said I would go, come back in. So they did know what time he was coming back, basically. Now I'm going to tell a joke. And it is a joke, so uh, some of you old-timers will get it and some of you won't. Uh, but humor me and, ma- and laugh at it. Remember Alexander the Great? He, he, uh, he was the head of the uh, Greek armies that conquered the world. Well, he had the same problem that we have, that is keeping time at night because he had to set soldiers at watch. And they had the same problem on ships. So he devised, as the story goes, he devised a system of deciding how long it took for something to happen that would amount to three hours. So he, 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 he uh, experimented. He got some rags and tied knots at certain intervals. Then he would light the fire on the bottom of this rag, and when it got to the first knot, that was three hours. When it burned from that knot to the next knot was the second watch, another three hours. Anyway, they say that was the, the beginning of Alexander's ragtime band. So, yes, think about that a little bit. We need to laugh once in a while, I think. <laughs> okay. Here's what happened, though. Here's, here's, here's what startled me about this story. What really startled me was, he said, okay, you go, I, I'm going to feast, and I want all of you fellows, all of my servants, you go home, and you keep the lights on, and you keep your clothes on, and you wait for me, and when I knock on the door, you open that door immediately. Why? He said, because I'm going to set you down, and I'm going to give you a meal. Can you imagine that? I'm going to give you a midnight snack, as it were. That's what he said. That's what the text says. He says, Blessed are the servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. I'm going to make you a nice meal when I get home. It's going to be worth your while. Wait up and I'll feed you. Be prepared for that meal. In John 13, verse 3 through 5, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He was, he was taking care of them. He was serving them. Now, when the Lord sets a table for you, he's going, to, he's going to only provide the food that's best for you. And we have to think about that a lot. Lord, what, what, do, you, what do you expect of me? Bill, he says, I'm going to only expect the things that are best for you. That's what he's saying. I want something that's best for you. I'm not going to feed you junk food. I'm not going to feed you anything that has harmful preservatives in it. 
I'm not going to give you any spoiled or rotten meat or day-old moldy bread. Just the good stuff. That's all he's going to give us. What does the Lord want me to do? Only that which is good for me. Isn't that something? It doesn't benefit God. The meal doesn't benefit Him. Them staying up, us staying up and being prepared and always waiting up and ready and opening the door quickly isn't, isn't something that is for the benefit of God. It's for my benefit. Why? He's going to make me a banquet. He's going to make my life so good. He's going to make me so fine, so wonderful. He's going to provide things that will just will just lighten my life up. He's going to, to give me a drink called the water of life. That's what he told the lady at the, at the well, the Samaritan lady in John chapter 4. And he said that he asked her for water. And uh, she said, she said, why are you asking me for water? And then they got into a conversation. Jesus said, if you'd have asked me, I would have given you water that springs up unto eternal life. That's the kind of drink you're going to have at the table of Jesus. And he's going to give us the bread of life. When, the, when they followed him after Jesus had fed 5,000 and 4,000 different ones, fish and bread, which doesn't appeal to me much, but they had the fish and, and the loaves, and then they followed him over on the other shore, and, and, and when, they, when they came to him, they said, Our fathers gave us manna. What are you going to give us? And Jesus said, I'm going to give you the bread of life. I'll give you the bread of life. He answered and said, If you knew the gift of God, who it was that said unto you, Give me drink, talking to the woman at the well of Samaria, I'll give you living water. To the people that followed him over on the other shore after they'd been eating fishes and loaves, he said, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Well, is it going to be worth the wait? When he says, Wait, keep the lights burning. Stay alert. I'll be back between 9 and 3. And when I come back, I want you to be prepared. I'm going to knock on the door. You open the door. And then, Eureka. Instead of taking care of him and taking his clothes off and giving him a midnight snack, guess what? I'm going to feed you. And here's what he's going to feed us. Blessed are those servants that wait. The last thing that he says, of course this is basically the last thing, it doesn't, it's not really laid out in a coordinating pattern, but he does say in the middle of this thing, he says, watch out. He said, I'm coming, but he also said, the thief comes. And he said, in this text, he says, he says, beware. He said, know that if the good man, that's verse 39, know that if the good man of the house, the good man of the house was the manager of the servants, if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken through. If he had known when the thief was coming, he could make sure and prepare that he would not be damaged. The thief of our soul is a devil. He's going to take our life. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. The devil comes on us. He said, 
Now, we're talking about late at night. I don't stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning. And if I did, I would be sleepy, and so would you. If we stayed awake and tried to stay alert, it would be tough. But he said if the good man of the heart of the house knew what hour the thief was coming, he would have watched. You'd almost have to stay up all night to make sure the thief doesn't come. Somebody says that the, that the time, the best time for a thief is somewhere between 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. Who knows? You don't have to stay up for that, by the way. You may, you, you could have a burglar alarm, for all I know. And you could have, you have your camera set on automatic and so forth. Anyway, he says, watch. Be careful. The devil comes at our weakest moment when we're sleepy, drowsy, and not really prepared. The devil knows our weakness. And I know my weakness too. And you know your weakness too. The devil knows exactly where he can get you. And you know exactly where you can be gotten. Isn't that right? What will tick us off? He knows what will tick us off. You know what ticks you off too. Be ready. Be prepared. Don't go to sleep. You know when you're going to lose your temper. The devil knows how to get you to lose your temper. You know how you lose your temper. Watch. That's what he's saying. What will cause us to open a bottle of booze and pills to dull our senses? devil knows. He knows what drives you to the bottle or to the pill. He knows that. You know it too. So what does he say? Watch. He says, watch. The devil knows what will loosen our tongues so that we'll choke ourselves on our own tongue saying things we shouldn't say. And we know when we loosen our tongue too. We know. So what does he say? Who's he, who's he talking to? This or us? That's, that's what we're looking at the text and saying, Lord, who are you talking about? Well, he's talking about Bill. The devil knows what will create lust in our hearts. And we do too. The devil knows what will cause us to envy the success and the status of our rivals. And we do too. We know it too. Why do you think he's saying watch? Because we know where our weakness is. He's saying set the alarm. Stay sharp. Keep yourself strong. Keep yourself aware. And, and keep yourself knowing where you have your strength. And that's the question, basically. And that's why when, when we got down to this, to the end of it, Peter said, who is he talking about? Who is he talking about? And so that's the question when we read the Scriptures. Who is he talking about? Well, I think he's talking about me. That's why these passages are so interesting and so intriguing, so exciting, and so dramatic when I read the Scriptures. When I read the Gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm fully involved in it. You are too because you're there. Unless you think it's to somebody else. But we don't. Who's he talking about? Me.